Lucifer, the light bringer, lest we forget at least an over-the-shoulder acknowledgement to the very first radical from all our legends, mythology, and history, and who is to know where mythology leaves off and history begins, or which is which, the first radical known to man, who rebelled against the establishment, and did it so effectively that he at least won his own kingdom. Um, I stole that excerpt from Rules for Radicals, which is a book I have not read, so I just thought the quote was cool. Just a little disclaimer. So, there's always been two basic paths, right? The fork in the road, um, the path less traveled, if you're a Robert Frost fan, which who isn't? Um, the right-hand path is the one that seems to be preferred, as it is usually associated with more conventional ideas. Um, the right-hand path is often seen as the path that works with light, and the left-hand path is often seen as the path that works with darkness. That's not uh, a very accurate representation of it, really, I don't think. Uh, it's sort of useful, but too extreme. So, um, the left-hand path is associated with more radical thinking, and it's sometimes considered more dangerous... Um, yeah, anyways, we have a ton of stuff to get through today, and, um, I've been thinking about this stuff a lot, and I wrote down a ton, and I have a ton just, like, trying to jump out of my head right now. So, I'm gonna just see how this goes, um, there's gonna be probably a lot of editing in this one, um, just... Another weird disclaimer, there's probably parts of this episode you aren't going to like, or you aren't going to like the whole episode. Um, there's going to be useful takeaways in the episode, at least um, there were for me uh, writing it, but there is, um, I don't know, sort of a lot of just different ideas, and there's like uh, theistic Satanism and Luciferianism. And there's, like, atheist, atheistic uh, as well. And the atheistic is kind of more metaphorical, uh, archetype. They take the archetype uh, of Lucifer more than believing in an actual uh, being that existed or exists. I'm sorry. That exists, I should say. Um, so, yeah, and then the theistic is more like they do believe in... A being that is Lucifer. So, um, for the sake of this episode, it's more just, um, atheistic, but, uh, it's, yeah. So, in the spirit of radicalism, whoa, in the spirit of radicalism, let's talk blasphemous, because that's probably what a lot of people are gonna think this is. Um, today's episode is all about the devil. So, the devil. As we think of him sometimes having horns and sort of goat beard, uh, red with a pitchfork and cloven hooves. That sort of comes from 
a bastardization of the Greek god Pan, who was ha- uh, half goat, half man. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so yeah, Pan is the son of Hermes, the trickster god. Hermes is my favorite Greek god. Um, he's also the Egyptian god Thoth, or Thoth. I say Thoth, but a lot of people say Thoth. But I just like to say stuff how I like to say it, guys. Um, the ibis-headed, uh, scribe of the gods. So we're gonna talk about him later, but Pan represented nature and was sometimes associated with carnal desires, lust, um, sexual rituals, perhaps. And when paganism was decidedly no longer in fashion, many of the positive attributes of a god like Pan were actually replaced with the qualities of an adversary. So, that's sort of where we get some of that stuff, but we aren't really following that thread of thought today. I found a different link to a different, well, not a Greek god, but a Greek titan who was Prometheus, and I thought that had uh, some interesting parallels. So, in some stories, Prometheus is actually attributed with creating um, humans out of clay, and then Athena then breathing life into them. And he's sort of uh, he's sort of a titan that does things uh, to help humans, even though he he can see the future. Um, he's thought to be the forethinker, so he knows everything that will happen. So, he does make sacrifices, and we'll talk about that. I think that's something that's really cool about Prometheus. Or Prometheus, perhaps. I don't know. I say stuff I would like to say, guys. Uh, okay. So, the name Prometheus can... I'll just, I'll just double back and do it both ways. Whenever. Just both. Just whenever I can, I'll do it both. Okay. So, Prometheus can be traced back to the Sanskrit word pramantha, and I hope that is a cool pronunciation, because I think it was cool, which essentially means fire drill. Prometheus has two main legends that are sort of the most uh, talked about, and the first one involves Prometheus actually helping Zeus defeat the Titans, and... That's when Zeus takes over the Olympians versus the Titans. There's a whole, uh, it's like a whole war. There's a bunch of cool stuff about that. So, anyways, the first story that we're going to get into, or legend, involves Prometheus tricking Zeus into accepting a sacrifice where Zeus basically agreed that he wanted the humans to make sacrifices and Prometheus was going to... I guess do the first one to kind of make an example of it. And Zeus was saying, like, this is the way it will be done or whatever. I don't know. Something like that. So he tricks Zeus into accepting a sacrifice of bones and fat that were wrapped really nicely when all of the meat that was actually substantial was taken and placed into the stomach of the animal so it looked really gross and um zeus chose the sacrifice of bones and fat so 
then Zeus so then Zeus is very angry of course because what the hell man and yeah he accepted the sacrifice so he decides to hide fire from the mortals on earth from the humans so he takes away fire Prometheus seeing the future knows that if fire goes out for humans they will die that is the human superpower of ancient times is controlling fire that's really that and using tools other tools i guess but using tools was something we had to do to compete i feel like so uh the fire thing was more like um us having an advantage and the trying to use tools thing i feel like was trying to catch up maybe maybe that's a bad maybe that's a bad uh way to think of it but who knows so anyways anyways prometheus decides to steal the fire back from zeus and return it to earth so i'm gonna kind of just quickly go through the end because it's sort of yeah so as the price for the fire and of course punishment zeus creates pandora endowed with a special charm and attraction she was sent down to Prometheus as a gift from heaven, which of course he did not accept, and he also warned his brother, Epimetheus. <laughs> oh my god. And he warned Epimetheus, who was Hindsight, um, aka Hindsight, who, despite much warning, decided to do it anyways. And as many of you know, the myth of Pandora involves... Of course, the woman, Pandora, receiving a box which she's told not to open, and out of curiosity, she decides to anyways, which releases the diseases, sorrows, and vices that go on to afflict humanity. Of course, there's one last thing in the box, which is just begging to be let out, and that was Hope. And like a little fairy, she came out, and quickly lifted the spirits of Epimetheus and Epimetheus, Epimetheus, Epimetheus and Pandora and disappeared to do that to the rest of humanity who was feeling downtrodden, which I think is really cool. Uh, the Pandora myth is really cool. All the myths kind of sort of intertwangle, intertwangle, intertwine, and start to go together. So there's another myth though that involves Prometheus where he is nailed or chained, depending on the story, to a mountain where an eagle is sent each day at what seems to him to be the same time to come and tear him open and eat his liver, which of course regenerates which i wonder if the ancients actually knew that your liver would regenerate i guess they had to have for the myth um because it just makes so much yeah it's just anyways but he goes through this punishment and he is later saved by io <sighs> that's a whole nother myth that i could do a bunch about as well but in prometheus bound which is also a book i have not read he is not only seen as the bringer of fire and civilization to mortals, but also as their preserver, 
giving them the arts and sciences as a means for survival. Prometheus is a titan who defied the gods to bring fire to civilization, and in some cases is credited with endowing man with the clay that made him. Similarly, we can see Lucifer as an archetype that defied God to bring light illumination or a new way of thinking to humankind. So, we are going to be jumping around quite a bit, so just bear with me. I wrote so fucking much, and it's just kind of all, all over the place. So, some biblical scholars believe that the name Lucifer wasn't originally attributed to the devil, but actually to Jesus, and of course, is only mentioned in the Bible twice. While Satan is mentioned a lot more in the Bible, uh, specifically 56 times, he is sometimes referenced as a serpent or a dragon, and so I found these verses in Revelations that I thought were interesting. Now the first one is Revelations 22:16, and it says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star. This feels like a really cryptic verse, like much of Revelations, and while I wish I could say a bit more about it, what it means is quite a bit out of my depth here. However, in Revelations chapter 12, there was... Uh, these verses. I'm just going to read these series of verses. Uh, I got most of the chapter. I'm not sure where I'll cut it. So, yeah. <laughs> you guys. Um, chapter 1, verse 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought, and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven, and the red dragon was cast out, the old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out onto the earth, sorry, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Um, I'm going to skip a little bit ahead. And when the dragon saw that he was cast onto the earth, he persecuted the woman, which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time, and times, and half a time, from the face of the serpent. And the earth helped the woman, 
and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Whew! Um, that's wild. Um, some say this story is about how Satan fell from heaven, and a third of the stars that he took with him were, of course, the angels that would join him to become his demons or devils. The adversary is often portrayed as a demon and is first mentioned in Genesis, coming to successfully tempt Eve to eat the forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the beginning of Genesis, God creates the heavens and the earth and the barriers that separate them. Next, as we know, Adam and Eve are introduced into the Garden of Eden, where God tells them they are allowed to do anything but eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge good and evil the serpent the serpent or the first example of the adversary archetype comes as the tempter and seduces eve getting her to eat from the tree with the promise that once doing so you will become as gods this is described as the fall of adam because of course he eats it as well leading to them hiding their nakedness and of course trying to hide from god um Adam is then banished from the Garden of Eden, and a fiery sword is placed to guard the entrance. One of the interesting things I've always thought about, though, is when God's creating everything in the beginning, he's just creating it and then saying that it's good. And then, all of a sudden, just sort of pops out of nowhere, like, boom, there's this serpent that's not so fucking good. Um, but the serpent is a very interesting symbol. Um, of course, the double uh, serpent, Caduceus, is Hermes' uh, symbol, um, the symbol of medicine, and also looks like DNA. Uh, it's a double helix. So, the serpent is a powerful symbol. Of course, snakes are a super powerful symbol to humans because one of the things that our eyesight is adapted for is to see snakes. Uh, we find snakes terrifying. Almost everyone does. I like them. I'll hold them. They're cool. I'll watch them eat stuff. Um, you could put it on my neck. I don't really... I don't think they're cool. Um, but there is something in human nature that is intertwined with our evolution and also the snake. Like many... Um, well, I guess there's... A lot of different animal archetypes but the snake is one that is really associated with kind of devilish type things a trickster um being evil being a thing of darkness and the serpent uh, in this case is really what leads to everything happening because without the serpent ever coming to tempt eve we have the tree of life the tree of knowledge adam and eve chilling in a garden that is paradise, completely naked, and just being like, what do we do now? Like, what did, what did they do? Like, they didn't even have Netflix. They couldn't listen to a podcast. What the fuck did they do? I got nothing. So, the serpent is a symbol of ambition, a symbol of progress, and often the catalyst of growth. I kind of associate it also with, like, being part of the shadow, 
it's often the symbol is associated with things that maybe are harder to think about or harder to face but of course lead to more development as well and more growth so lucifer the name uh comes later and is lucifer is taken from a hebrew word which is like helo something i can't of course i can't say it or remember what it is but it lucifer the translation means light bringer i believe who knows um the name lucifer means light bringer or light bearer and of course also is associated with venus which is sometimes called the morning star venus is the planet closest to earth and i think similarly lucifer may be the angel that was most nearest to god but maybe was also most nearest to being human it's said in it's said in some theologies uh the way that i learned it was that jesus and lucifer were actually brothers and that they both had their own plans for what the earth could be of course god was designing it as a test um or yeah some kind of american ninja warrior type situation um i have this verse that <coughs> sort of describes the fall of lucifer and well sorry i lost my train of thought because i got a call but i think i was saying jesus and lucifer were brothers they both had a plan um of course jesus's plan was said to involve free will and would involve some of this the angels i guess we were all angels or spirits in the pre-existence to return back to paradise and be with god and lucifer's plan was a little bit different it didn't have so much free will i guess but supposedly it involved all of the souls coming back and um god went with jesus's plan of course which may have angered lucifer and caused him to rebel similarly or caused him to rebel and then defy god and he took a bunch of the angels with him approximately a third and they became the fallen ones or the fallen angels um so that's sort of one way the fall of lucifer he becomes satan uh, another way that it's told is that lucifer is the basically head of the council of angels and he is so perfect beautiful that he actually becomes infatuated with himself it was pride and then envy of god and jealousy of humans so it's told in a couple of different ways i found this verse in ezekiel that says you were the seal of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor so i threw you to the earth i made a spectacle of you before the kings and that's sort of a just little blurb taken from ezekiel 28 12 through 17 
which sort of just tells of how impressive um, Lucifer it, uh, was. But the thing that I didn't understand, and I still don't understand, I guess, is that it says, You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created, till wickedness was found in you. I just don't really understand that. Um, if God creates something that is blameless in its ways, um, how how does w- wickedness become found in it, I guess? So... It is said that he was so perfect and full of wisdom that Lucifer's first sin was pride and that he yearned for the glory that only God beheld. I have heard a different take in The Transmigration of Timothy Arthur, which is the third book in the Vallis trilogy, which is one of my favorite book series, possibly my favorite at the moment. Really cool. Philip K. Dick um, does an excellent job. There's tons of Gnostic ideas. Um, there's tons of ideas taken from different mystical, um, scientific, uh, just all kinds of things just kind of mashed into like this cool series. Part of it's sci-fi, part of it's uh, more like a narrative, part of it's like um, someone, someone like telling their story. So it's cool. It has three parts, and anyways, in in this, he says that Lucifer's sin was not that he had too much pride, but it was that he wanted the full wisdom of the glory of God. And it said that he did obtain it, and that he failed to share the wisdom that he had gained with the rest of us, and sort of just bogarted the truth. And I thought that was a really interesting way to think of it. And a way that I had never thought of it before. And if you read that series, there's a lot of stuff like that. So, um, I'm going to kind of dial back. Um, I guess similar to Lucifer, uh, we can find parallels in the story of Judas. Of course, this is more of a Gnostic approach or a Satanist approach. That while some believe, while many Christians believe that Judas was a traitor and had only greed in his heart, betraying Jesus for a few coins, it is also believed that Judas was Jesus' most beloved and faithful servant, and that only he would do what was needed and betray his own savior. While it is easy to scream evil and speculate about the malevolence of someone else's heart, especially in a story like the Bible, where things can be taken so black or white, um, it's a different kind of endeavor to try to understand that everyone can be correct and corrupt, sometimes at the same time, uh, like the great paradoxes of life. And that the actions of certain circumstances can be misleading. And they may actually be born out of a place of love instead of hatred or greed. The archetype of Lucifer the Lightbringer is someone that was cast out of heaven, banished from the God that they had loved. And this is the sacrifice that Lucifer has to make to become the adversary and to become basically God's plan for him, which is to 
to have that role for all of us. And I think like Jesus, um, like his brother Jesus, Lucifer is such a necessary part of the story. You can almost see him as a different type of savior. That's extremely blasphemous, I'm sure. Um, I'll be chilling in hell for that one. Yeah. <sighs> um, but I think duality and kind of just that way of thinking is, it's obviously an essential quality of life. And the idea has transcended human belief and spirituality since the beginning of creation. Um, my friend asked me, if I would rather be someone that's happy or someone that is always looking for answers. And, of course, I'm always looking for answers that can't be found. And I had to think about that for a little bit. But I think that I would rather be someone that's looking for answers, even when I know they can't be found. And I think that the price sometimes of having knowledge or of seeking knowledge it's it comes with suffering it comes with a price and of course prometheus knew this being able to see the future and uh lucifer probably knew this as well as a perfect angel um what can we say about the devil without god and what can we say about god without the devil uh one thing i heard once that i thought was thought-provoking was that if god is in everything then god is also in hell and I've thought about that before, and perhaps that is where God is most found. Because, to me personally, the only time I really call upon a God or something like that or try to pray is when things seem so completely out of my control that I have to look outside of myself as an act of utter desperation. And I can't admit that. I don't pray regularly or often, but of course I have found myself many times praying in moments of despair and sorrow that I could be relieved. The Gnostics believed that the material universe was created by a pseudo-deity who was wearing God's facade. This being called the Demiurge is often associated with the Abrahamic God who at times is nothing less but destructive towards humanity. Creating the Great Deluge, for example, and wiping out entire peoples when he deems them becoming too wicked. The Gnostics believe that there is a true god above the Demiurge, who is the real source of all things, essentially the All, or the One, and whose divine essence is found in everything. Through Gnosis, they believed that the Black Iron Prison could be escaped, and that humanity could redeem themselves, through many of these and similar truths. Much of what we have from the Gnostics was destroyed or written by Christian theologians, and many of the ideologies have been twisted or altogether lost completely. Like many different spiritual ways of thinking, Gnosticism is something that has many different sects and frameworks. But mm, like Christianity and uh, many of the other major religions, Gnosticism provides a framework for human life that is based on the idea of debt. Not unlike the idea of karma found in many Eastern traditions. I like the idea of, um, I don't love the ideas of karmic debt. Um, Lucifer can be seen as a divine being that gave up his place in the kingdom of heaven. 
so that we may have the knowledge or the fire of the gods, a gift that none of us have ever really acknowledged, and one that probably shouldn't be taken so lightly. A sacrifice that many have never really considered, but a necessary action that leads to everything in the material universe as we recognize it now. Similar to some Hindu deities that bring destruction and chaos, but also rebirth and ambition, Lucifer can sometimes be seen as an archetype of dualities, growth and destruction, chaos and order. But let me ask you, would you rather be happy or be an intellectual? And are they mutually exclusive? Is the price of illumination actually sorrow?